old building in town just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and this week we are talking about three classic issues of the original Justice League of America comic book, all guest starring the Maid of Might, Supergirl. So, of course, my guest can only be Dr. Ange. Hi, Ange. Hey, Rob. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for coming back. Uh, this is very, very exciting. I love talking about classic issues of Justice League. Shag and I have been uh, sort of trip-hammering through that series over the years on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And now uh, we're here to talk about three issues, numbers 132, 133, and 134, which, as I said, all feature appearances by Supergirl in uh, various <laughs> levels of anger, I would say, throughout <laughs> the three issues. Uh, we've never covered these to this point, so I'm very excited to talk about them. But before we get to these issues of Justice League, uh, we have to thank our sponsor. This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Ange, what do you got? Uh, I have Supergirl by Peter David, uh, trade paperback book four. It says, everything is coming at Linda Danvers, a.k.a. Supergirl. Comet, the newest hero in Leesburg, is being chased by someone named Fracture. And in the meantime, in her civilian identity, Supergirl speaks out against a bigot on her college campus. And Parasite is spotted in Paris. All just typical problems in a day in the life of one of the most powerful girls on the planet Earth. Collects issues number 32 to 43. It's 328 pages long. Original price twenty nine ninety nine. Now the in stock trade price seventeen thirty nine, saving you forty two percent. And I picked this because this is that crazy run where Supergirl is a Matrix slash Earth Angel, 
Um, and earlier in this very series, she fights Despero, somebody who we're going to see is very much. In- ah, oh, okay. Good uh, job. So that's not necessarily in this trade, which is available on stock. But I'll also say that, it, you know, I have said in the past that the first 50 issues of that Peter David Supergirl run is like one of the best long form single stories um, that I have read in comics. And it's at this stage of the game in this trade that she is really starting to become very comfortable with her powers and almost maybe a little bit um uh, almost too confident, and they always say pride comes before the fall, and <laughs> you almost get a sense in the way Supergirl is portrayed in these Justice League comics that she's sort of almost there. She's almost like a little bit too confident in her abilities. Very cool. All right. That's a great pick. Uh, I brought Justice League of America, the Bronze Age Omnibus, Volume 2. It's a hardcover. It's by Lynn Ween, Jerry Conway, the late great Marty Pasco, among others. The art is by Dick Dillon, Frank McLaughlin, and Dick Giordano. This mammoth edition <laughs> collects Justice League of America numbers 114 through 146. It is 776 pages. It's the kind of thing they put in front of planes to keep them from moving forward on the runway. Uh, the normal price is $125. In stock trades price is $72.50. You save 42% off, so you would get free shipping if you just bought this book alone. So the reason I picked up this one is because it collects the three issues that uh, Angie and I are going to talk about. So for this and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com, and we thank them for their support. And uh, one other thing we have to mention, of course, this show is supported by the Fire & Water Podcast Network over on Patreon. So you want to support the network, go to Patreon.com slash FW podcast and there you can unlock various rewards one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice so big thanks to adam ackerman david Ace gutierrez gord tolton jason pope jay campbell keith g baker kevin culp and robert lewis for their support of the fire and water podcast so thank you very much once again if you want to support the network go to patreon.com slash fw podcast all right Ange, we're here to talk about jla numbers 132 through 134 and i have to ask you when did you get these comics have you had these along did you get these off the newsstand or close to it or were these back issue purchases uh, these were definitely back issue purchases for me i would say looking at the different ads and things um and then looking at mike's amazing world i clearly was twirling the spinner rack at the 7-Eleven a lot for the months that these came hmm. up, but for some reason either they were sold out or I just didn't see them. I have been really doing my best to try to collect as much, you know, random Supergirl stuff as I possibly can, and uh, and so when I saw that she guest started in these issues, I actually went out and sought them out. So I would say probably within the last 10 to 12 years, I would say somewhere along the way, these crossed my paths. It's very interesting in that she she gets not one, not two, but three guest appearances across this book. I have no idea if Jerry Conway was maybe trying to, like, you know, grandfather her in a little to see, could she be a member of the team? It's, it's unusual to have a guest star appear essentially across three different storylines. Because uh, each of these stories are sort of one-offs, kind of. Part 133 and 134 are continued, but then they, they sort of pick up in a different direction. And yet Supergirl's in all of them. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask about, starting off with the first issue, uh, which has got this cover by Ernie Chua and you, or Ernie Chan, and you've got the JLAers on one side and these, <laughs> these animals brandishing weapons. You've got a gorilla holding a gun, an elephant holding a mace. You've got a rhino, a cheetah, a tiger holding a spear. Uh, and you've got the, I'm always a sucker for, you know, the heroes on the one side and the bad guys on the other side coming at each other kind of thing. Um, I love the little headshots right at the top where it's got the DC's comic salutes the bicentennial and all the headshots are by Neil Adams. 
There are those Neil Adams headshots that he did. And everybody's kind of grim looking. And then you've got this real happy looking Supergirl. Like it's a completely different art style. And I don't know where they pulled that art from, but it's, it, it, I laugh at it how it just doesn't fit with the rest of the headshots. Yeah, you know, it doesn't, to, to me, it could very well be Neil Adams. It almost has a Kurt Schaffenberger feel to it. Right. And, right. Uh, and he certainly drew her a ton. So I wonder if this was like some stock art that they just clipped. She's all happy and chipper looking. Everybody else is kind of like, mm-hmm. but she's like, hi, I'm Supergirl, yeah. everybody. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. What do you think of this cover? Um, I absolutely love it. It's interesting. There are five animals against six superheroes, but I tried to line it up, and it's like, <laughs> you know, they've got um, Green Arrow going up against a charging rhino, and then Supergirl going up against a giraffe wielding a spear. And I'm like, maybe those guys should should trade off. Um, <laughs> but just like you, I do love these. It's like, you know, the, you know, like Legion of Doom and Super Friends running at each other. Yep, They're like, yep. you know, like one group of X-Men facing off against another group of X-Men. So I just, uh, I can't get enough of these things. And, you know, as Professor Allen would always say, you know, uh, intelligent gorillas holding weapons, you've, you've sold me, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There's my 30 cents uh, news dealer. There you go. It's perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, this comic was on sale April 6th, 1976. The name of the story is The Beasts Who Fought Like Men. It is by Jerry Conway, Dick Dillon, and Frank McLaughlin, of course. Uh, our story opens in the middle of an attack by the Queen Bee. The Justice League discovers that the flying humans using the attack are not humans at all, but mannequins filled with super intelligent bees, of course, that are under the command of the Queen Bee. After taking care of them, the JLAers head to their satellite for clues as to what Queen Bee is up to. But moments after arriving, Green Lantern falls victim to a sneak attack by his old foe, Sonar. We learn that Sonar, in disguise as a Professor Dunkirk, created something called an Ultima card, a sort of credit card designed to replace all currency that was carrying a worldwide plague. Unbeknownst to the world's governments, the card also carried a sonic signal, which Sonar intended to use as a way of controlling people's minds. But something went wrong with the signal transferring human brain energy into the minds of animals, including the Queen Bee. Suddenly, Supergirl rips into the satellite and knocks Sonar for a loop. As she repairs the hole she made in the hull, however, he escapes. The JLA then appears, telling Supergirl they were playing possum so they could learn Sonar's plan. As the team splits up, Supergirl tags along, saying the reason she showed up in the first place is because she has not been able to find her cousin, Superman, anywhere on Earth. The leaguers then notice that the other members, Flash, Aquaman, Adam, Hawkman, and the Elongated Man, have not been heard from either. Batman, Green Lantern, and Green Arrow find Sonar in Washington, D.C. After Sonar is almost killed by a rampaging elephant, Batman notices the animals are fighting amongst themselves. Thanks to Sonar, they didn't just receive human intelligence, they also received human stupidity. In Chicago, Wonder Woman, Black Canary, and Supergirl fight the Queen Bee. Canary's cry does the trick, and back at the satellite, the jelly figures out that it wasn't Sonar behind this at all, but Queen Bee. When she discovered Sonar's blunder, she realized she could control the link between humans and animals and use it to take over the world. Defeated, Green Lantern sends them back to the authorities. It all seems wrapped up, since reversing the link helped them find the missing JLAers, except for one. Supergirl demands to know, where is Superman? All right, Ange, so uh, what do you think of this as a just as a JLA comic, and what did you think of this as a Supergirl story? Well, first I have to say, you know, it was the freewheeling mid-70s. There must have been a lot of marijuana out there. I have to, this is a crazy story. Um, and I just love the fact that it's like, well, first I made a money plague so that I could uh, send out my uh, ultimate credit card that I could control people that then turns out also for some reason gave uh, animals intelligence. I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to follow this. And you're right, the the mannequins filled with bees is also crazy. Um, it, it feels very much like um, a classic JLA story in that there are like, okay, 
this subgroup of leaguers will go and take on this problem, and this right. group of leaguers will go and take on that problem, and and we'll uh, make sure that we're able to sort of wrap everything up. And and you know, oh, we were playing possum because we knew that the villain alone in the satellite would just monologue his entire plan out for us. <laughs> Which he does, yeah. So Sonar basically explains yeah. everything, yeah. So um, so from that point of view, it felt very classic. Um, I'll say, you know, um, one of the first artists that whose style I could recognize, who I could open up and not look at the credits and say, that's who this is, was Dick Dillon, because of course, Mm -hmm. probably like you, any chance I could buy a Justice League comic back at this time, I was buying it. And uh, and he also did a bunch of, I think, DC Comics Presents issues as well. And so there's also this very much nostalgia about like, oh, this is the league the way that I remember them growing up. This is really like the way that I picture them in my head often. So, So other than the really, I mean, crazy like can you imagine this would be like three years of stories and the decompressed storylines of oh my god yeah all told in very neatly in one issue um uh so but it felt like a a perfect league uh story um from that point of view now it's pretty fascinating because there are a couple of things that i'll say you know um when you look at the time period when this was out she had just come through all of that Mike Sikowski stuff in the adventure comics. And at that point she was, I've graduated college. I'm working on like a mobile news team. I'm really like a young adult. And those stories were also crazy. Um, And then she had her own short lived series, which got canceled. And then they brought back Superman family and the Superman family book rolls uh, the Lois Lane book, the Jimmy Olsen book and the Supergirl books all together. And it was bi-monthly and there would be a lead story that would be a new story and then two reprints of whoever the other two characters were and they kind of rotated. And these real, those early Superman family stuff, this was pre-dollar comic stuff, was um, – it felt like inventory stories. They were often, you know uh, – Space Prince wants to marry Supergirl, but it turns out he's a bad guy, you know. So so <laughs> it almost felt like a step back from the more mature stuff that Sikowski was doing. And the Supergirl, the way she's presented here, feels much more like that era, that that those adventure comics. I'm on my own as a young adult in San Francisco. I'm really my own hero now. I'm not like an orf- in an orphanage training. She is a little bit like angry, but I'll say I usually when I see her like this, I describe her more as she's like fierce. Something is worrying her. And she's not quite polished yet because she is still sort of learning. And so as a result, um, uh, she seems almost like agitated, fierce in her mission, like whatever I need to do to do, if that means punching you, I'm going to do that. Um, So she doesn't seem like she's evil in any way or like ill-tempered or even, you know, like morally gray. She's like, I know what I, you know, I know what the right thing to do is here. Find my cousin because guess what? Animals all over the world are acting strange and I want to ask him what I should do. Um, uh, And I can't find him and I'm very upset by that. Um, And so you can imagine if you're like 16 and you're like, oh, my dad is gone or the person who I lean on is suddenly missing. You'll be like, oh, my God, what am I supposed to do? And so I kind of feel that's the way that this plays off. She also comes off pretty intelligent. You know, she is the one that bashes Sonar. She figures out, like, she does these claps that are very loud to, like, you know, um, take out the bees and clump. Right, right, right. Uh, And and, uh, so I think that she comes off very, very well, which – also, you know, isn't easy. I can bring up too many instances where Supergirl is portrayed um, in a lousy way, and I think that this was pretty done, pretty well done. Yeah, I didn't. She is definitely hot tempered, but I didn't take it as 
she's like she's careless or anything like that. It's just she's very much like, hey, I want to find out what's going on. And she keeps talking about how, look, if there's somebody out there that can take out my cousin, then the universe is really under threat. And you're like, well, yeah, that's a completely normal way of reacting. And I could see that. Um, I like her smashing through the hall. It's very exciting. I mean, I've said this before. Shag and I have covered this on other issues, other episodes of Fire and Water, uh, is that Supergirl, to me, looks great with the Justice League. Like, she just looks like she fits. And it's always a shame to me. I thought it was always a missed opportunity that she didn't get to join the team. I understand, yada, 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 duplicating powers, whatever. But I just... Every time I see her in this book, I like her there. I like her as part of the team. I mean, not only does the Justice League just need more women members. And by the way, there's one point where Batman says, I wonder how Wonder Woman and the girls are doing. <laughs> oh, boy, Batman. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, but like, I just like her as part of the Justice League. So I was happy that, uh, you know, Jerry Conway brought her into it. And you, you mentioned the thing about the, the whole, you know, the entire world currency system being replaced by an ultimate card. It is amazing how fast Jerry Conway hand waves that away. Because it's basically a couple of panels yeah. where they're like, oh, yeah, there was this plague and we realized it's attached to the currency. So the world government of its currency and now they, everybody uses a credit card. And he actually layers it in in the previous issue where a kid goes to buy a comic book and instead of giving money, he pays with an Ultima card. And the, and the, the narrator is like, hold on, what is this? Find out next issue. And then we find out what this Ultima card is. It's like the entire world goes along with this, with this plan by this one guy, Professor Dunkirk, who happens to be Sonar. And, you know, like nobody checks on it. Like they just trust this guy. All right. I guess the Ultima card works. Like, wow. All this in like 18 pages, you know, like, Woo, they really did not have time for, for sort of the niceties. They just had to just barrel through this. Yeah, and I think of Sonar as like he's a guy with a sound gun. But <laughs> but here it's like, well, I have sonic vibrations built in a credit card that can take over your mind. I have I can turn the gun on myself and I can use it to teleport myself away. Later on, he's like, I turned the gun on myself and I made like a force field around myself. And <clears throat> and this is always the thing where, you know, when you think about it too much, it's like, why don't you just patent that and like buy an mm-hmm. island, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, drop the sonar costume and just go live in the Caribbean somewhere. What are you doing? This is stupid. And I also like the, the idea that he screws up. He creates this this card and has the vibrations that he can't control. And Queen Bee takes advantage of that. Like, that's funny. I like the idea of one villain is like, this guy's an idiot. I'll just take advantage of him and do what I want, which I thought was fun. And, yeah, any story that features human mannequins with bees on the inside. You're just like, this is just great. This is just everything you want out of a 70s comic book. You know, like, why not? Sure. I mean, mannequins with bees in them? Yeah. All right. That's, let's let's just keep going. Yeah. And at one point, Batman, like, rides one. He throws yes. it. Yes. He's like, I, and it's for, like, several pages. It's like, until he finally is like, now I'll throw it into this Green Lantern-made vacuum cleaner. And so it's just, it really was kind of um, uh, a, fa- a very fun read for me because it was just like it seems like every page something crazy was happening he even has a line during that sequence where he says the vigilante i'm not which i appreciated just the mentioning of the vigilante is one of my favorite characters and i also love on the final page where every the jlers are in the satellite and they're discussing the plot and they've got sonar and queen bee trussed up and it is totally a scooby-doo ending i mean it is really Let's just explain it all. And it's almost like Queen Bee almost says, and it would have worked too, if not for, for you meddling justice leakers. <laughs> I mean, and I love that Green Lantern beams them back to what he says, like, is their jail, but he doesn't go with them. Like, he just beams them away. Like, 
is did he is he telling anybody these people are coming? It was like you know they're kind of like super villains. I would think you might want to like show some extra attention to detail and maybe fly them home yourself. But you know, I guess he's busy. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a really fun story. And again, I love that Supergirl's in it. I just think it's really fun. And then, of course, the story ends with I. I again, I like the way Jerry kind of layered this in. Is that Supergirl comes in saying, "I'm here because I want to find my cousin." And at the end of the story, all the Justice leaders are like, well, that wraps up that because we found everybody except for Superman. Supergirl's like, wait, didn't I just say we're, we can't, we need to find Superman? So I like that. Like, you kind of forget that part of the plot. And then it comes back in at the end and we're just continuing on. So I like that a lot. It's, I liked that Jerry Conway in these issues was kind of sloshing these stories from issue to issue. And they kind of pick up and they sort of continue but sort of stop. Like, there there isn't like a hard – this story's over. The next story is starting the next issue. It's like, no, he's dropping in little bits and pieces from one issue. He's going to pick it up in another issue, and then it's going to continue on to a third issue. I liked the sort of it's, – it's very um, trade paperbacky without being with, – with also still giving you a beginning, middle, and end in, 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 in the individual comic. It's true, and, and uh, I'll say that he works so well with Dylan, and I think Dylan yeah. is a great Supergirl. I mean I love all of his stuff, and it's very – I think this is the only – I think maybe he did one page in the Adam Wedding issue uh, yep. uh, that Supergirl uh, was also in. But I think this is the only time he drew her, and uh, you get that great action sequence when she's punching sonar, and she's almost like uh, – you know, doing like almost, I don't want to say like almost a horizontal pirouette in the air. It's a very good punch sequence. And then, you know, those last panels, there's this very leggy Supergirl sitting there saying like, what the heck? So he's always managed to draw very beautiful women without it looking like purient. Yeah. You know, it, does, it doesn't look sleazy. They look classy. Yeah. And there's something about his art that, that was able to do that. So, yeah, I really – I've always said I've always been a fan of his. I grew up with him and – I would say like him and Frank McLaughlin are like the Lennon and McCartney of comic books. Like their names just belong together in my mind. So it's a fun story. It's a really, really fun story. And as I said, it picks up with number 133, uh, Justling 133, which was on sale May 18th, 1976. This, this story is called Missing – one Man of Steel, and is, of course, again, by Conway Dillon and Frank McLaughlin. Supergirl is furious over the idea that her cousin is missing. She chides the JLA, who offer that they only learned an hour ago that he's gone. Supergirl argues that anyone who can kidnap the Man of Steel is a threat to the universe, and she's going to find out who it is. We find an unconscious Superman hurtling through space under the control of a tractor beam administered by two aliens on a faraway planet. Before they can revive him, however, they are attacked by creatures called flamebirds. All seem lost until Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Flash, and Green Lantern arrive to save them. Huh? When it appears that Flash has been killed in battle, one of the aliens hauls out another Flash. Double, huh? It turns out that both Flashes are robot duplicates created by one of the aliens. Superman then wakes up and is told that he and the JLA are here to help defeat Despero, having no memory of the last few days. Superman and the Airzats JLAers take off. Not realizing these are not his real friends, the Man of Steel is horrified to see some of them seemingly die in battle. Despero then realizes that these heroes are just duplicates. After blasting Superman with his third eye, he knows he is now free to enslave the planet. The aliens, horrified that their plan has failed, decide the only thing left to do is call on the real Justice League. All right, Ange, let's start with the cover. Uh, it's got, you've got Despero in the center here. He says, I've blasted Superman. Who wants to be next? And you've got the JLA all going in towards the center. What do you think of this cover? I just love it. I love your boy Aquaman is down there. He's like, yes, he's the throwdown yes. as well. And um, 
it, you know, it, it really draws the eye because they're sort of like all circled around him, all sort of yep. diving in. I think it's, uh, it's, it's a great composition. I love that Supergirl is giving them shit in the beginning where she's like, why, when are we going to find my cousin? And Flash is like, we just found out an hour ago, Supergirl. Like, they really kind of like, and she's like, that's not good enough, Flash. Like, she's really giving him, giving the JLA grief. Yeah, it, it again sort of says like there's this transition, right, where she goes from these silly stories where she's like either in high school or in the orphanage to now really like, okay, I have aged, right? I've almost narrowed that age gap between me and Superman. I'm like my own person. You're right. I mean, it's gutsy to be in the satellite surrounded by all of this, that generation of superheroes, the greatest collection of superheroes. And she is, she is that panel of her just pointing at them and yelling at them across the table like that. You guys aren't listening. Um, yeah. I love that whole scene. Yeah, it's a that's a really and we'll have some of these scans on our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Uh, the, the splash page is great. By Dick Dillon. Uh, we've got those insets of Supergirl talking. Meanwhile, we see what's happening to Superman, and it's this double-page spread of an unconscious Superman being caught in this tractor beam. It's a very, very powerful image. Uh, it's very, very striking. I like it a lot. Now, I, I have to ask you, I feel a little dumb saying this, but when I was writing the recap for this issue, I had I got confused a number of times. <laughs> like, what, what exactly was happening at any given point? Because it's like you've got these aliens, and there's robot duplicates, and they're calling... They tried to call Superman to get help, but they realized that Superman wouldn't come because he was going to be busy dealing with the crazy animals. So they came up with fake JLAers to lure Superman there. There was a bunch of times I was like, wait, what is going on in this story? It, 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 uh, I'm glad that you said that because, you know, it took me a while to understand the whole money play credit card thing. <laughs> you know, so oh, it, man. Yeah. And this one, it's the same thing where, where they're like – and then uh, the, the robots almost have this, uh, you know, like, well, we'll die heroes. We did our best. You know, I may be just a robot, but I also am the Flash because of my rocket boots and my sacrifice for things. Um, but I agree with you. It was very tricky. They all had sort of like one thing that would help them emulate one power. Uh, right. Right. Which allowed this sort of um, charade to go on. Um, uh, but much like you, I also had to keep rereading to sort of say, do I quite understand what's happening? And I think the flash robot, I think three flash robots die. I have to go back. Yep. Yep. Out. Yep. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, a bunch of flashes bited in this story. Uh, as I mentioned, Despero, of course, is the villain. Surprisingly, he had not appeared in any comic book since JLA number 26, which is amazing. That's over a hundred issues he would not been used. And now, I mean, Despero is one of the most famous villains in the DCU. We used him over and over again. But man, he went. I mean, Jerry Conway was really kind of dipping into the back catalog to to pull him out. I was surprised that he really had, did not appear a whole lot uh, and until this until he came back for the story. Yeah, and and I think the good thing that Conway does is you immediately just get the sense that this guy is a badass. You know, uh, <laughs> right. they're, they're, this isn't like oh some penny. You know, some petty guy. He's got some serious power, and uh, and as a result, you feel that he's a threat. I love his robot that he's riding in. That he sits <laughs> in the brain of the robot and has these giant pincers. Like that. That would be a boss toy. No, if they'd ever made that. That would be killer. It was totally in my notes. I was like, I want that as a toy because it's like a robot, but also it sort of looks like a plane in the back, right? Yeah. So, uh, so it is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It's a badass looking ship. I like that a lot. And so you said you got these aliens and they are like they want to lure Superman. And then they realize, well, we just have to get the Justice League. There is a nice moment where Superman thinks that the JLA or he still doesn't know that these are not his real friends or Aquaman gets zapped and he believe Aquaman has died. 
And there's these couple of panels where Superman, the shock of it, hits him. And then they talk about that he has a white-hot rage at Despero. And he lunges at Despero, which kind of is not the right move because then he leaves himself vulnerable to Despero's attack from his third eye. But I like that they, they sort of – Jerry Conway again is like layering that in that, that Supergirl has got a hot temper. Well, it's because her cousin has one too. I, I like that that he gets really mad when he sees that his friends have been hurt. I think that's a nice little moment. Yeah, and, and it, again, it's not something that you see often. You know, I was reading Superman in action very regularly back at this point anytime I could find it. He, you know, and it was always like, oh, Superman's a nice guy. He always takes the high road. So when you see that, that it's like a white high rage that blinds him you're like oh my god i don't think i've ever seen like a really ticked off superman that's got to be pretty scary yeah and Dispro's pretty confident Dispro's just like ah well, i got this handle yeah, wow, yeah really and as you say that transition of the panels from like oh my god what just happened to you know all right it's it's going to go down um very well done by uh by dylan it's two great panels right back to back yeah, it's really great. Now, said of course, Supergirl really isn't in this story very much. She's at the, she's really much, pretty much just at the very beginning where she's chiding the JLAers, and then the rest of this is pretty much Superman and the duplicates. But now she's going to come back into the story in a big way with the third part, which is again JLA 134. This was on sale June fifteenth, nineteen seventy six. Battle on the Edge of Forever, once again, Conway, Dylan, and Frank McLaughlin. So we have a third cover by Ernie Chan, uh, another cover of Despero in the center with our heroes surrounding him. In this this case, it's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Hawkman, Elongated Man, and Supergirl's getting blasted. And while they're in this giant hand, uh, and it's this Battle on the Edge of Forever. Uh, So, Ange, what do you think of this cover? Uh, I think it's great. I have to always look at it to say, like, which one of these things is actually the thumb? Uh, it's hard to tell it, a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of just like a big five fingered thing. But um, <laughs> uh, but I also like it because uh, you know again it's a great action shot of everybody. Supergirl is very prominent in it. I, I love Hawkman with sort of like that flail. Uh, oh, I love that, that sort thing. Of like coming on in, and then even the name like Battle at the Edge of Forever. Kind of like I wanted to look like when did City on the Edge of Forever come out? That Star Trek. Right. So were they playing on that title? But. Uh, but, you know, this would certainly, again, grab my eye if I had been growing up and seen it, because really the question is, like, whose hand is that, right? You know, like, if right. this is happening, like, something bigger is going down as well, and i got to figure it out or find out. So so I like this one, too. I remember buying these issues at a uh, back issue store. The first, first uh, LCS that I ever went to was called El Dorado Comics. Uh, it's actually only a couple of miles from here, and it was the first com- first dedicated comic book store that I ever visited. And I remember finding 133 and 134 together in the in the back issue bin, and I could tell. And it was funny. I, the only way I I mean, there was this was you know this was in the 80s, so there was no internet. There's no way to look any of this stuff up unless you had like a price guide, and even then, price guides didn't get that specific. But I sort of knew instinctively that this must have been a two parter because you got the Supergirl head on both covers. So I bought them both together because I was like, oh, this is probably a continued story. So I, I find that very handy uh, to put that little icon up there because you're like, oh, OK, Supergirls in both. This must be a two-parter. So thank you, whoever designed that cover, for, for putting her on there because it, uh, it maybe you know, allowed me to buy both parts of the story, which is uh, very handy. So uh, this, in this comic, it's in, in deep space. Hawkman's spaceship with the other JLAers aboard is on a collision course with Despero's ship. Unknown to either of them, two aliens 
not the same two aliens in the previous issue, <laughs> beam, each, beam each ship's inhabitants to their massive craft. Elongated Man makes the first move against Despero, who is confused not having met this member of the JLA before. After holding the JLA off, Despero suddenly disappears. Supergirl is distraught, thinking she has failed her cousin. As the Wonder Woman hugs her, the two aliens watching are confused over this display of emotions. Using some sort of device, the aliens basically see a recap of the last issue. Entertained by the battle they just witnessed, the two aliens decide to go all Grandmaster and pit the Jailers and Despero against each other over and over and without warning. After numerous fights with different JLA, different members of the JLA, Despero finds himself transported to a platform where Elongated Man and Supergirl are. After another fight, Supergirl realizes that they're all merely puppets in some sort of elaborate game. The aliens reveal themselves, and Supergirl argues this endless fighting is pointless. She then suggests the two aliens pick sides, so there's more at stake for each of them. They agree, and Supergirl tosses Despero into orbit, meaning him on the other side of the planet, delivering a crushing blow. The winning alien starts to brag until the other alien punches him in the face. On the way home, Supergirl uses that to escape. She has inadvertently introduced the last two aliens of a dead race to the very concept of war, a curse she wouldn't wish on anyone, even Despero. Okay, there is a line of dialogue in this story where one character says, this is all most confusing. <laughs> and how? <laughs> it was like, I mean, because when I was, again, when I was writing these synopses, I was like, wait, this, oh, that's right. These are different aliens than the other two aliens we saw in the previous story. Yeah, you know, and the funny thing is, I followed this one the easiest. <laughs> I would, it, 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 standing by itself, it does flow the easiest because it, it is basically like a Twilight Zone where these two aliens are just, uh, they're bored. They're the, the, they're the final members of their race and they're just, they're, they're cosmically bored. And so they just decide, oh, let's just have some fun with these characters that seem to not like each other. Uh, Supergirl, I'd say, gets the most to do in this one. So what did you think of it, again, as a JLA story, but then as a Supergirl story? Uh, So, again, it follows that classic JLA format of let's take a few people and have them fight, you know, and separate up and fight. Uh, Of course, here they're separated by these two aliens, and they're always fighting Despero. Um, It is funny to me that they – these aliens are like, well, we'll put Despero in a place where we'll also just give him a gun, right? And then we'll (laughs) we'll say like, oh – uh, we'll have him use his mind control powers against Wonder Woman, but every time he comes close to winning, which he does the first two times, they're like, well, I guess that fight's over. Let's restart again. And so <laughs> they, they have him go up against uh, Supergirl, and then, of course, she comes up with the answer. So uh, from a Justice League point of view, it again kind of rolled out the way that these stories did roll out back then, which felt very classic to me. Um, I always uh, enjoy, you know, uh, it's much like Star Trek The Next Generation. Like every fourth issue, there's like another omnipotent huge race that's just out there like fooling with people. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm sure we never heard from these guys again. Um, uh, So from a Justice League point of view, I loved it. But from a Supergirl fan point of view, this is just a great issue. I mean, this is just really, really a great issue. The, The first thing is that I love that scene where she's very upset that Despero disappeared and she might never find Superman and she seeks sort of comfort with Wonder Woman. If you look back at like the last 20 years of Supergirl's history, there 
there is always some jackass creator who wants it to be that, like, I bet that Supergirl hates Superman, or I bet that Supergirl wants to kill Superman, or I bet that Supergirl wants to be left alone. And they're really a super family. And so you read this, and she's just like, look, she has this great line. Where is it? He's always been like a brother to me, guiding me, teaching me to use my super abilities and loving me. And now when he needed me the most, you know, uh, I failed him. And, and you just say, like, that's the way family should be towards each other, right? That's the way that this relationship should be. Like a brother and a mentor. And now when he's, in, you know, he's helped her out a bunch. And now when when she had the opportunity to help him, she thinks she's uh, she's failed. So that scene is great. And then at the end, she figures it all out. She's, mm-hmm. you know, because they're like, you know, we're bored. And, and we saw Superman and these robots fighting Desperate on a planet. And we thought that looks kind of fun. So we figured we just like, <laughs> we created on our own. And so she's like, well, why don't you up the ante and each, you know, again, each pick a side. It's like gambling, basically. And so they do. They pick sides. They amp up Despero's powers. So like one guy is like, I gave him a force field so that she won't be able to hurt him. Um uh, so we'll see, you know, so I know that I'm going to win. And it's like you say, she throws him into orbit and then flies in the other direction so that she can meet him on the other side of the planet. And the punch she gives him, I always, I have tweeted that panel a mul- multiple times where I say like, and you thought the broke back, you know, pose for women was bad, right? Because <laughs> he is literally bent in half. He looks like a greater than sign in arithmetic, <laughs> you know? Uh, you go, there's no way that he can, you know, he'll ever walk again. But um, but it is just a fantastic action shot. So um, so she is, she's kind of like the big hero here, um, which, uh, you know, she didn't always get the limelight like that. And she didn't even always get the respect of the Justice League like that in issues of her own title um, when she interacts with them. So so this is just spectacular. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, remarkable that she gets such a, such a prominent role here when there's so many other characters to compete for her attention. And like I said, I almost wondered if, like, was Jerry Conway trying to layer this in a little bit about whether, you know, he could work her into the book full time. And I was, I was curious enough about this that I went and looked at uh, later issues, the letter columns, to see what the response was. And most of the letters are pretty positive about Supergirl. In fact, in JLE 138, there's a letter from a young woman named Elizabeth Smith who basically says, why don't you bring Supergirl in all the time? Like, she's great here. So the fans, I think, liked it. They liked having her in the book. Um, yeah, she looks – she's great here. I, that, that punch is so fun of just the idea that throwing him into orbit – which is going to make him loop around the other side of the planet just so you can meet him on the other side and smash him in half is great. And she talks about pulling her punch because, I mean, of course she has to because otherwise he would be reduced to just magenta dust at that point. You know, there wouldn't be much much else to him. Uh, on the art front, Dick Dillon once again, I mean, you know, this poor guy, how many alien ra- – I mean, how many alien races did he have to design? How many different planets did he have to design? How much technology did he have to design? The ship that these aliens are in is really do- – it, it, it looks like something Salvador Dali would have designed. It doesn't have any real shape that you would be familiar with. It actually looks like a crumpled up piece of paper floating in space. And it's just the sheer visual imagination Dick Dillon had to show – Every month is startling. And the fact that he did it month after month after month, and you mentioned that he drew issues of DC Comics Presents. He also drew World's Finest. He drew Blackhawk. Like, how? Yeah. How did he do it? I mean, how many hours in the day? I mean, we know that, unfortunately, he passed away young. But, like, how I, – I, I would have loved to have known what his, what his output was in any given day because it's like – was he cranking out – 
four pages a day? I mean, that's like Jack Kirby level. Uh, you know, it's just astounding. And it just how much stuff he had to cram in here, all these different uh, settings, all these different – I mean, they go to this – when Supergirl uh, tackles Despro and with Elongated Man and they have to go to like this – all of a sudden they change into this landscape where everything's made of crystal. I mean, just the amount of stuff he had to visualize in any given story is startling. And the fact that it doesn't look crowded, it looks like you can sort of always tell what's going on. And then he always – again, and he managed to make room for the right moments because like the Supergirl Despero punch gets a lot of real estate on the final page, as it should because it's such a great moment. Yeah, it's not like he's Vince Coletta, right? Like there's detail on detail. And like you say, how many times even uh, you know, in just thinking about the issues I have, you're right. There are all of these different weird aliens that he's done, and I, and I can picture them in my head because I've read these comics so often. Um it really is astounding, and I'll tell you one thing: is that he um, he did die early. I think of a heart attack, um, and I believe so. Yeah, and, and it was his last issue. I think was the first issue of the um, the, the new gods team up. Yeah, the new gods team up, and I can remember that I got the next issue, which I'm pretty sure was drawn by George Perez. Yep, and, yep, I, yep. and I was, and as a kid, I was like, "Who's this hack, George Perez? <laughs> like, what, where's my Dick Dillon?" Right, and then like, you read in the back, you're like, "He died." They're like, oh, and then I'm like, ah, whatever, this Perez guy, we'll never hear from him again. (laughs) (laughs) So it's funny. But yeah, you know, um, uh, he really, again, is a pretty formative artist for me. He's it's like him, I think, and Jim Aparo are probably like the two guys that as a kid, even I could recognize their style and they became like the guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're speaking my language. You're talking about Jim Aparo, of course. But uh, overall, yeah, these are really fun stories. I mean, again, they are overloaded with plot. I mean, Conway is certainly giving DC its money's worth for Pete's sakes, how much story he's cramming into this, this thing. And you're working in Despro and you've got Supergirl. And like I said, I always wish, I understand that in, in the, in the seventies, Superman was their marquee character, not Batman, Superman, Superman was their marquee character. And they were never going to get rid of Superman out of justice league. That was never going to happen. And so therefore you can't have Supergirl in the book, but I just like her so much. She, to me, she looked, she just fits completely in with the justice league temperamentally i like her i like that you she's got a little more of that kind of youthful hothead sort of thing to it i like that a lot and i i really do wish that they had decided to keep her in the book or at least bring her back more often than they did uh because as you mentioned she came back in 157 and then basically not again until the jlajsa the final jlajsa team up right around when the team broke off and became the Detroit League. So they never really got to use her too much, which is just a darn shame because I think these are really fun stories. I like seeing her here. And, you know, in some parallel universe, I like to think there was like a Supergirl comic drawn by Dick Dillon because he could find another 10 minutes in his day to crank out another title. Yeah, yeah. I would totally go for that because I'll tell you that sometimes the art in her own book, I mean, she had a pretty good run of guys. Uh, Oxner and Art Saff, for example, like did a long run. But but she could have used a much more mature look. They often got guys that did sort of cartoony stuff, sort of like that Schaffenberger headshot. Uh, right. Uh, and I think that she's just stunning here. One thing that uh, when I, I mentioned the letters page earlier, in the letters page for this issue, uh, there is a mention that the Justice League of America will be squaring off against the Joker in number 10 of his title. And unfortunately, the Joker was canceled as of number nine. So that book never saw print. And boy, I would have died to see that. I mean, the whole Justice League worked into a Joker story. That would have been so fun. And I'm, 
I mean, by the fact that the book was canceled with number nine, I have to think they were already working on number 10. So the artwork must have existed at some point or in some form, but that's a damn shame. We never got to see that because that would have been a lot of fun. I would have loved to see the, the Joker square up against the whole team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and I will tell you that his solo series also has that issue where he teams up with the Creeper. So That's right. That's right. Your favorite. Your other favorite. One of my that's other right. favorites. That's right. Did Supergirl and Creeper ever meet? Not, Did that ever happen? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. But, All right. <laughs> but uh, I'm ready to pitch that to you, DC Comics, if you ever want it. <laughs> there you go. Right. It's everything Ange likes in one spot. We're throwing Hawk and Dove, and it's just the yeah. perfect, perfect Ange comic book. So, yeah, overall, like I said, I really like these stories. Uh, of course, Jerry Conway would take over the book with number 151 and become the regular writer and continue on with the title basically until its end, until like, like the, the last 10 issues or at least five or something when then J.M. J. DeMatteis took over for the for the final run with the Professor Ivo stories. But, I mean, this is – Jerry Conway's already really had a feel for this title, and uh, these are really fun stories. I very much enjoy them. I love Supergirl. I love her in this comic. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, thank you so much, Ange, for, for stopping by and talking Supergirl with me. Uh, anytime you want me to. But I have to say one more thing. I did see an ad in this book that I just think uh, you should cover. There's a centennial, tre- a bicentennial treasury coming out that I'm sure is chock full of Superman stories. <laughs> I think it would be wonderful to read about. <laughs> I, uh, yes, I am sure that that is nothing but great, great Superman stories that are all about the bicentennial and very, yeah, oh, God almighty. Oh. Oh, that ad. I swear to God. Oh, oh boy. So, anyway, Supergirl. There's another character should have gotten a treasury. But, again, I'm speaking your language. So, uh, Ange, again, thank you so much for stopping by. You know, any time I'm, I'm going to be talking about Supergirl, I have to invite you. So, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the Internet? Uh, I am most active on Twitter, um, where I am at Dr. Ange 70 and I tweet a lot about comics and Supergirl, but also old movies and my job. Uh, and <laughs> I also run a Supergirl fan site, which hit its 12th year at the end of April. Wow. Uh, called Supergirl Comic Box Commentary. Um, and uh, I cover all things Supergirl there, but also the Legion of Superheroes, Superman, and various other comic stuff. All right. Very cool. Of course, everybody, you can follow us on Twitter at FW Podcast. You can subscribe to the show on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And all our back episodes are on the website, firewaterpodcast.com. Once again, if you want to support the Firewater Podcast Network, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. So that is going to do it. Shag has enjoyed, I hope he enjoyed his week off. But uh, like I said, I was happy here to talk Supergirl with Anne. So thanks everybody for listening. And until the next episode, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever, yeah! Listen, cuz, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times. Being a real hero takes time and experience. Experience I have as an adult. Adult? You were super boy, like, last summer. It was two summers ago, and that's beside the point.